Jonathan Grunge Bro. It's episode 35, and that's right, it's Gariana Grande. <laughs> As we're tasting the first offering from Westland Distillery's Outpost Range, the Gariana 5 American Single Malt Whiskey. And we have a special treat for you today, because we're joined by the Westland co-founder and master distiller, Matt Hoffman, all the way from over there in Seattle, Washington our first ever master distiller. And as always, you can find some more whiskey-based content, lovely photos and little snippets from the show on all our social media platforms, Whiskey and Things podcast on Instagram and Whiskey and Things on Facebook and Twitter. And of course, this is the point where I ask you to do everything. Please rate, review, subscribe and click share. Uh, it, it means a lot to us and really helps us out. So thank you very much in advance. You're listening to the Whiskey and Things podcast with Dave Giles and Nick Kent. Welcome to episode 35 of the Whiskey and Things podcast. I'm Dave Giles. And I'm Nick Kent. Yes, 35. This is amazing. And it's a great show. That's how old I am. It's my age. Is it? I forget. Yeah, I think so. I forget because so. I'm such a great mate. But, you know, how are you, Dave? How oh, very you? well, thanks for asking. I really appreciate you asking. Well, what you a know, lovely I, friend you are. I know, right? You know, well, never forget to ask how your mates are, you know, especially exactly. at a time like this. Exactly. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I agree. <Are> you- <laughs> Completely agree. Uh, how are you doing, Nick? I'm fine. Moving on. <laughs> okay, we have a great show in store for you today. This is one of the favourite things we've ever recorded. I'm saying this in advance because we've already recorded it. Yeah. Uh, so earlier, earlier this week... Uh, Nick and I met up with Matt Hoffman, who's the master distiller and co-founder of Westland Distillery from Seattle in Washington. And it was one of the best hours I've ever spent with anyone online. Uh, I say it a lot, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm not looking um, at your search history, but uh, there we go. Exactly. But it was just so much fun. He He's so knowledgeable. You're going to really enjoy this. It's a great whiskey as well. Yeah. So this is a company we only found out about quite recently at the whiskey show. Uh, and I don't think I need to say any more than that because I think we cover it all within the interview. We do, we do. So let's just uh, let's just dive straight in, shall we? Let's do it. Sting me. Whiskey bots roll out. This week's whiskey: Westland American Single Malt Whiskey, the fifth edition of their Gariana, which is part of their Outpost range. And we have a special guest with us today via Zoom all the way from Seattle, Washington, co-founder and master distiller of the Westland Distillery, Matt Hoffman. Good morning, Matt. Welcome. Welcome, Matt. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. Very well, thanks. Good. Thank you. Very, very well. Yes. Yeah. yeah, thanks for joining us. It's it's 9am over there right now. And uh, yeah, that, that seems a, a crazy time to be talking about whiskey. So thanks for joining us. I love talking about whiskey any time of day. That's absolutely the truth. Why, why get into this business if you don't love talking about whiskey? Perfect. Very true. Very, very true. There you go. Um, so, so before we get talking about the Gariana, um, can you start off by giving our listeners a brief history of the Westland Distillery and perhaps what your ambitions were when, uh, when you founded the company? Yeah, so uh, Westland Distillery is 10 years old now. Um, we set out with the ambition of trying to make something that was reflective of this place. Um, so where we are here, Seattle, uh, Pacific Northwest, um, this is uh, as far away from Kentucky in the U.S. as you can get, <laughs> um, you know, 2,000 miles away from Kentucky. So the, everything here is, is different. You know, people think about American whiskey and they think about, uh, they think about bourbon primarily, of course, uh, maybe rye to some degree, but certainly bourbon. You know, but up here, you know, we have a totally different, we have totally different climates, agriculture, um, you know, soils, everything else is, is very, very different. So our goal from the beginning was to make something that was reflective of this place. Um, one, because we're from here, you know, I'm born and raised here, but also because I believe that that is the most compelling types of whiskey are the ones that are reflective of place and not a copy of, of something else like a Scottish whiskey. Uh, so that is, that's kind of what we set out to do. And what that meant in reality was, We shouldn't be making bourbon because corn actually doesn't grow very well up here, but we should be making single malt whiskey because this is in fact, one of the best places to grow barley in the world. And even though there's no history of whiskey up here, we decided that there's no better place to start than to start with something that is foundational in our agricultural system, which is with barley. So we have dedicated ourselves exclusively to making 
what we call American single malt whiskey. And uh, that's all we do. We don't make any other spirits. We focus on that the entire time. Um, you said, obviously, people think of American whiskey, they think of bourbon. How popular or how common is single malt whiskey in America? Well, by the numbers, you know, compared to bourbon, you know, it's it's a drop in the bucket, maybe not even a drop in the bucket. You know, bourbon is massive. It's been around for a long time. Um, but the growth of single malt, American single malt within this country is is incredible. You know, when we started, we were one of the, you know, we weren't the, definitely not the first. The first distillery making single malt in this country was all the way back in the 80s, actually. We were the second distillery to dedicate ourselves to making single malt exclusively. Oh, wow. Uh, but there are now more than 170 distilleries making single malt of some amount in one way or another in this country. So the growth has just been really, really extraordinary. Um, and the the beauty of that is kind of the the reflection of 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 what American single malt can be. You know, it's super diverse. People are are leaning into local cultural influences or local agricultural influences. And I think that's been appealing to a lot of people. Where whereas bourbon is pretty static, you know, and even people who are making bourbon on a small scale, you know, it's kind of dumb. The bourbon industry is of course dominated by the big players and not that that's not that they're making bad bourbon, those big players, of course they are, but it's just that American single malt represents the opportunity to do something like really, really new. And that's, that's very exciting within the category. Now getting it, selling it further abroad, you know, that's, that's a harder thing, especially for the smaller distillers, but yeah, the growth in this country is, is nuts. Yeah, those numbers are crazy. We're we're getting excited in England because we've we've got twenty odd distilleries making <laughs> making English whiskey, and we're like, yes, look, English whiskey is coming back, and and there there we are also not knowing that that American single malt is it, oh, for me personally was even a thing until a month ago, and now you're telling me there's over a hundred distilleries doing it, which is just mind blowing. But um, one hundred and seventy, one hundred and seventy distilleries. That's more. That's more than there are distilleries in Scotland. I think that's right. Yeah. Yep. Which um, is, that uh, is where are these crazy. distilleries? Are they kind of, you say, because of the climate, are they in the northwest kind of area or are they kind of in no, the they're, south as well? They're really, they're really scattered across, um, you know, the, the whole country. And that's, you know, uh, one of the things that's interesting is our approach to single malt, which is to be connected to agriculture. You know, we make single malt because this region where, where we live is a great barley growing region. 80% of the barley we use comes from uh, this state. Actually, that number is going to be uh, in 2021, 95%. Um, well, the, of the barley will be coming from Washington state, but you know, a lot of the other distilleries in this country are taking this approach where they're making a variety of things and they're sourcing the barley, either it's American barley or it's, or it's UK barley or it's European barley. Um, so people are making uh, single malts of various styles, truly like everywhere from Seattle all the way down to Florida. Wow. Wow. Nice. Did the consumers and the whiskey industry over there embrace it or did they kind of doubt a good single malt could come out of the States or, or the world. Did the world doubt you as well? Funny enough, I think that the the doubt has been more in the US than it has been in other parts of the world. And I think that that's kind of interesting. The UK is a little bit different, but the, in the US, it's, it's hard for people to really understand how dominant the bourbon industry here is. When people think whiskey, you know, they think brown spirits, you know, they're thinking bourbon. Bourbon is everything here. But I always, you know, I always tell people like, whenever you go to another country, you go to the UK, uh, go to France, and you go to a whiskey shop, like a really good whiskey shop, and you look around, all of that is single malts, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like from all over the world, there might be a, a cute little bourbon shelf that's like four foot by eight foot, you know, and it's, and it's totally different from the way that you see it here in the States. Now, that's not, you know, true all the way across the board. You know, certainly in the in the bigger cities, there's a lot more appreciation for single malt, and it's really, really growing quickly. Um, but there's, uh, the, the countries outside of the U.S. are familiar with two things. One, single malt really is king, I think, outside of the U.S., and most whiskey-consuming countries. And two, most countries now are familiar with the concept of single malt whiskey being made outside of Scotland. You know, we can thank the Japanese for that, of course, you know, for yep. kind of breaking that barrier. Um, you know, the UK, of course, there's a lot of hometown pride in their own uh, whiskey, which, of course, I totally understand. Um, you know, but you go to other places around the world, and, and in many ways, it's easier to talk about single malt whiskey to uh, somebody in France, you know, about this concept of, of terroir and something being rooted to place than it is to talk to Americans sometimes. Now, that's changing really, really quickly. 
but certainly over the past 10 years, I think it's, it's kind of funny how it started with more actually like export consumers for us. Um, and then the U.S. catching up. Okay. We got to know you um, or, or know of Westland at the Whiskey Show uh, because Nick and I have had been on this whiskey journey over the last year where in particular we've been fascinated by the the, the amount the wood can affect a, a whiskey. And you were in a tasting set. There was two whiskeys within it uh, in a tasting set called "Where is uh, What's in the Wood? Hmm. And we had the Garyana 4 and your American Oak. And we got to taste those two alongside uh, four other whiskies, which also tried different things with wood. And the Garyana 4 was my favourite of the six. And I even said it's probably the nicest whiskey I've ever had, ever. Um, so oh, I, I, I could not believe it. And, and yet Nick, weirdly, went the other way and he absolutely adored the American Oak. I did. Not that he didn't like the Garyana, but... yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. Yeah, yeah that's that's fine. <laughs> it, it was those Black Forest Gatto vibes for me. Oh, I just fell in love with it. It's gorgeous. But yeah, the Garyana was yeah. lovely as well. But it was something about that American oak. But but yeah. So obviously, you spoke earlier about how you were trying to um, make sure that the whiskey you were creating was reflective of the area you're in. But with particularly with the Garyana, that's your statement of of here's an here's a proper local wood which is definitely going to bring the flavour of this area to the whiskey. Um, so and that's probably be a good time to start talking about the new the new one, right, Nick? I was going to talk about the core range first, but we can. Oh, talk. go go for it, but, go uh, for it. I was just watching the uh, Mark Gillespie interview and how much you love talking about barley. So I just wanted to ask about you your reasons for roasting your barley. Yeah, that's that's very simple. It's all about flavor, you know. That's that's the whole thing that got me into this business. You know, you have to understand. You know, there's no legacy of of whiskey making here certainly in this part of the country but even even the idea of bourbon is not well understood you know within the u.s it's kind of like an abstract idea and and where those flavors come from isn't understood i i came at the whiskey industry from a totally different angle i mean i came at it from having a genuine interest in in flavor and where where things come from and whiskey the beauty of it to me and you know this is true back before we started the business and the same thing is true today is you know it's made of four ingredients, malted barley, yeast for fermentation, water, and then the casks that it's aged in, maybe peat factors in there somewhere. But, you know, that the fact that you have this thing, which is one of the most complex beverages on the planet, that's made from four raw ingredients is incredibly striking to me and the challenge of that. So when we started the business, the first thing, you know, saying, okay, we wanted to make something that is reflective of this place, single malt, um, you know, barley grows here. But the thing we did is we looked around and you know, I went through a formal education in whiskey making in Scotland um, with Harry Watt University, um, postgrad program in brewing and distilling science. But I also was absorbing all this other information from um, our local culture. And this part of the world is where the craft brewing revolution started. In the craft brewing revolution, you know, there are so many, there's hundreds of breweries mm. all over the place around here. And you look around at the craft breweries and you go, wait a second, the way that they look at barley is very different, fundamentally different from the way that the whiskey industry looks at barley. And they're looking at barley as a source of flavor. And, and it's not even a craft beer thing, you know? This is, the, the beer industry has been doing this, Guinness has been doing this for, what, 250 years. Yeah. Um, been using roasted barley as a, as a hallmark of that flavor. So look around and say, wait a second, the brewing industry uses barley, uh, different types of malted barley, roast levels, to make fundamentally different styles of beer, porter, stouts, amber ales, you know, you name it why isn't that happening in whiskey? And I never got a good answer to that question, you know? And, and the answer is now basically just because that's not how it's been done. Um, and there's a couple of notable exceptions to that, the Glenmorangie Signet, which is a really lovely whiskey, but you know, in the Scottish whiskey industry, it's not done. So we said, okay, why don't we just start with that? Why don't, why are we not looking at, you know, it's made from malted barley, hundred percent malted barley that's all you can use. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so why would we not look for, for flavor from that malted barley? So we started there literally cask number one. Um, you know, this has become a foundation for our house style uh, and that uh, American Oak expression, um, you know, you guys tasted uh, that, that flavor profile is, is coming from five different types of malted barley with four different um, roasted malts in there, which are roasted to various degrees, which brings out different flavors from the malts. Basically, if you were to take that, those five malts, mash them together, which is what we do, mash them together. But if you were to turn that into a beer, you'd make a porter. Right. Whereas if you have a, 
the type of malt that is going into Scottish whiskey, uh, if it's not peated malt, you'd make a Pilsner, you know? Yeah. So that's the, that's the big difference. And that's where we started. And that, that's the foundation for Westland right there and always will be. Um, even, a, even in a wood-focused whiskey like Gariana, is we, we want people to be able to taste the barley at least to some degree. You know, that's, that's just a philosophical approach that even, even in a whiskey focused on wood, wood shouldn't be the only thing you taste. So it all starts with the core range with American oak that way. Wow, wow. That explains so much to me as well that, that of why I like it because I'm, I'm a massive stout porter and Guinness fan. Mm. So it makes a hell of a lot of sense from the reason why I've enjoyed the, the stuff I've tried from you. And it's got that creamy edge to it, which I you find in porters and stouts. For me, anyway, that's that. As soon as you said that, I was like, "Oh, that makes so much sense." Yeah, uh, I don't know if that's is what would generate that kind of flavor, but uh, that's certainly where my mind went with it. So, well, you have the you have the combination. I mean, this is where when you begin to stack these things on top of each other, you think about layering flavor and balance. You know, the the first thing was the roasted malts. The second thing was the the yeast strain. And we use a Belgian saison yeast strain. Every distillery in Scotland that I'm aware of uses the M strain, which is a strain you know it's very efficient and there's nothing wrong with it inherently it's just that everybody uses this one thing and again you look at the brewing industry and there's hundreds of different yeast strains out there mm. and so we went with basically the polar opposite of the m strain went with as close to a wild yeast as we could get in a saison strain a farmhouse ale yeast strain and that begins to layer on these flavors of of orange peel and and cherry and then it's and then it comes back to the oak and the role that the oak plays for us, especially with American oak, the bottling American oak, but utilizing new American oak, which is definitely not commonly done in the Scottish whiskey industry. And then, then you have these things coming together, you know, and that's the whole, that's the magic of it. You know, the, the malt will provide you some, some hazelnut notes, but you take the malt notes that gives you hazelnut. You take the caramel you get from the new American oak, put those together and you've got Nutella, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's where you get <laughs> richness and these things that come together. And all of this stuff was really a, I don't know, just a, a concept before we started, you know, that was the big risk is like, there's no precedent for this. Uh, but we dove into it and luckily that turned out to be true. Yeah. Nice. Fantastic. Yeah. Can you Love just that. expand on that with your three bottlings in your core range, please? Obviously the American Oak and the Sherry Woods and your peated as well. What's the, uh, what's the thinking behind those? Yeah. The core idea is that American Oak is like the trunk of the tree. American Oak is, is the foundation of these three and these three are all related to American Oak. You know, the American oak is named for the fact that it's 90, 95% virgin American oak, which is, of course, very common uh, in the whiskey industry here in the States, required, of course, for bourbon. Uh, so that that foundation of roasted malt, Belgian yeast, new American oak, basically, all I, I always think about it like a triangle. You know, the, each dimension of the whiskey is getting a little bit bigger on that triangle, but it's all still remaining in balance, just a bigger triangle. Um, Sherwood and peated is the extensions of American oak, the, the branches off the tree, but still starting with this foundation of roasted malts, Belgian yeast, and new American oak, even in Sherrywood, we're using some new American oak. But we're just going back to these more traditional styles of whiskey. American oak is the most innovative of the three. Sherrywood and peated are blending innovation and, and tradition. Um, you know, so sherry casks, you know, we're using Oloroso and PX sherry wine casks. Uh, that are coming from Spain. These are old traditional 60, 80 year old sherry wine casks. Um, we are using a combination of finishing techniques. So maybe three, four years in virgin oak, um, then finishing in sherry casks. We are also using that and um, um, new make spirit directly into uh, sherry casks, which gives you two different sherry wine cask really characteristics that then come together and give you more complexity in, in bottling. So the goal with that is to balance the sherry characteristics against the flavor of the malt, which is quite actually difficult to do because sherry is really a dominant flavor profile. But it you know, just gives you something different. People are familiar with sherry cask whiskeys. I mean, they're, you know, McAllen and, and a variety mm -hmm. of other brands have built a reputation on that. But now we're trying to do something new in that style. Always trying to do something new, not a copy, trying to do something new. Same thing is, is absolutely true for our peated whiskey. You know, we, uh, I mean, I love peated whiskey. I love the, the fact that all whiskey can trace its lineage back to peated whiskey made, you know, somewhere in the British Isles you know, 500 years ago. And I also respect the fact that that's not where I'm from. Right. You know, I, I'm from here in, the, in Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, and I don't want to make a copy of Scottish whiskey. I respect it. And in fact, because I respect it, that's why I'm not trying to copy it. I want to do something that's different here. 
So we take heavily peated malt, 55 part per million phenolic content, mash, distill, mature that. But then we're also still taking that foundational recipe that's in American oak, you know, five malt, Belgian yeast, new oak, mash, distill, mature that, and then blend those together afterwards to have this really, you know, very new type of peated whiskey. It's about 70% virgin oak in the end um, of the blend. And virgin oak and peat go really, really well together, um, which we'll see when we're talking about Guyana here. Um, but, you know, our peated whiskey is very much unlike, you know, an Isla style, if there is such a thing, peated whiskey. And that's the whole point. So that's, you know, the idea with the core range is spanning the spectrum from innovative to traditional, but always done with this core of the Westland house style that's focused on the malt and the yeast and trying to, you know, be an American single malt. Mm, definitely very different from the other single malts we've tried, you know, scotches for, for sure. sure, for sure. Um, yeah, the American oak from your core range was delicious. I, I fell in love with it. It's a, it immediately hit me, you know, I can still remember it in my brain, you know, from that, from that tasting session. It was fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. Well, and you know, it's funny because a lot of people are, are tasting American oak and they're like, oh, this chocolate or hazelnut, you know, yeah. what am I tasting? And, and I'm, you know, a lot of times it's, it's actually my distinct pleasure to be able to say you're tasting malt. You yeah, know, this yeah. is the, you're, you're tasting the flavor from malted barley. And for a lot of people that they don't, they don't know what to expect from malted barley flavor. You know, they know it in beer, of course, but in whiskey, it's just not a thing. So yeah. it's, it's being able to, to add something new to this industry. I mean, I, I love the single ball. I love the whiskey industry and I love the history that it represents. To be able to add something new to that is quite an honor, actually. Yeah, yeah, of course. I just had a tiny bit of the, I've got, had a tiny bit left from, from the tasting pack. And although, yes, Nick said about the Black Forest Gatto, it just... That finish is a stout. It is a porter and a stout. So many beers I've had. I'm like, oh, yes, that's exactly what it is. And you're right. It's just that barley flavor, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely wonderful. You're listening to the Whiskey and Things podcast. Should we move on to the the Garyana, the fifth edition? Oh, tell us the the philosophy behind this this bottling and how it differs from the uh, Garyana 4. Yeah, let's let's start with, I'm going to go back to... um, philosophy here for a second. Um, the, the thing to understand about Westland, we say want to make something that is reflective of this place. That's a two-part equation when I think about it. It's the things that, that um, grow here, um, our agriculture and, and the oak, which we're going to talk about in a second, but it's also us and our culture. This, you know, Seattle was founded in 1853. This is one of the newest cities in the world, really, if you think about it, especially a, a big major city Everything here is new. There is no history and tradition of anything here because this area is just, everything is so fresh. And when you think about, you know, the West Coast of the United States uh, is a very innovative place. Um, And there's something about, you know, the fact that people kind of came to the U.S. and then then started to move further and further West. And, you know, in doing so, they were trying to find something new, build something new. Maybe it's a new community, you know, a new civilization, a new, um, maybe it's a new industry, you know, and that, that feeling, you know, that spirit, I guess, kind of lives along here. This is a very entrepreneurial part of the world, very innovative part of the world. And that's been reflective in our whiskey from, from day one, although kind of in retrospect, we didn't really realize that we were doing that. It just was natural. You know, the use to saying, why, why can't we do these new things is a natural extension of our culture. So Garyana is kind of taking that same spirit, that same ethos, and then just, it, it doesn't stop, of course. That's the whole idea, you know, of, of an innovative culture is that it just doesn't, you know, don't call it quits when it's convenient. Um, we started looking at, you know, way back in 2011, we started looking at, you know, do we have oak? You know, the American white oak, which we're using, uh, and is ubiquitous in the, in the whiskey industry, the Crocus Alba, does that grow here? And the answer is no, actually, it doesn't. It grows wow. all the way on the other side of the country. Um, but we do have our own species of oak that grows here, and that's called Quercus Gariana. Now, if you're not familiar with the geography of the Pacific Northwest, which I'm assuming you're not, which is okay. No, I've been up there. I've been up there a few times. I love all it. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, a lo- it's a lovely place. And so, for, But for those of, of you who are listening or not, the general idea is we're up on the coast uh, of the Pacific Ocean, but we've you know this area is defined by mountain ranges. On the on the basically on the Pacific Coast, you've got big mountain ranges running from uh, you know Western British Columbia and Canada 
down through here we are in Washington State and into um, Oregon and, and into California to some degree. Then you also have a big range of mountains that kind of cuts the Pacific Northwest in half. It's called the Cascades. That basically is the spine of this region. And between those two mountain ranges, you have this area that's about 50 miles wide um, that stretches from Vancouver, uh, BC, down through where we are here in Seattle, Portland, Oregon, and kind of the terminus is like is San Francisco, basically. And this this range is where a lot of people live in the Pacific Northwest, but this is also where this Gary Oak grows. It's the only place that it grows. This little like 50 mile wide strip of land. It's wow. super, you know, defined by its geography and by these mountain ranges. It doesn't grow east of those, east of the Cascades, it doesn't grow west of the Olympics. So this, this oak species um, is only native to this area. Uh, it's the only native oak species we have here. Um, and it's really, I mean, the, the excitement that I have for Gary Oak is, is pretty immense. So, you know, the idea, first of all, that the whiskey industry has Quercus alba, the American white oak, which is used in probably 95% of whiskeys made around the world. Um, we've got Quercus rober and Petraea, you know, the two main European oaks, uh, which also include uh, oaks that would grow in the UK. It's the same species. Then you've got the Mizunara oak for people who are familiar with the Japanese whiskey scene. Um, and then we've got this, like the fifth species of white oak that is being actively used to make uh, casks now. So that, you know, as I said before, like the idea of contributing something new to the whiskey industry, and in this particular case, a new species of white oak is really, really exciting for us. So but when we started doing it, again, so we weren't the first distillery to use it, but we were the first distillery to release something 100% Gary Oak matured, and we're definitely the only distillery releasing something that's exploring the flavor profile of Gary Oak. But I can tell you, when we filled those first casks of Gary Oak back in 2011, you know, back then we were super, you know, we're tasting whiskey out of the cask every three months. We've learned a lot more patience right, right. since then. But we pulled this sample out and it tasted just like, it was the wild, I'll never forget that flavor. It was, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain to a probably a UK based audience, but you know, Kansas city style barbecue, you know, this like molasses, spicy rich you think about barbecue sauce in your head um and maybe that doesn't mean anything to anybody who's listening but uh, that is the flavor profile dark sweet spicy smoky and it was just extraordinary it's totally different from uh, american white oak so we said okay this is wild <laughs> we're going to keep exploring it in fact the first the first white paper uh, the first study that was done was done by the late uh, dr jim swan who was the oak guru of the uh, Scottish whiskey industry. Um, and what he found is that there's that dark spicy note is linked to these phenolics. The oak chemistry is fundamentally completely different from the American white oak. So we released a few single casks uh, back in 2014 and 2015 that explored this flavor and people were blown away by it. And then we went, okay, where do we go from here? You know, we've, we've kind of established that the flavor profile from Garyana Oak is this molasses, clove. It takes all these dark fruity notes, or it takes the fruity notes we get in our house style. So you guys, having tasted our American Oak, you know, it's got this orange marmalade thing and cherry. But in Garyana, all of the, those fruits turn dark. Right. It's like blackberry jam, blueberry syrup. So it has this propensity to just kind of take everything and turn it dark. So how do we take that and continue to explore and that's what the Garyana release series has been about, has been about exploring how Gary Oak interacts with other parts of our house style. So the editions of Garyana, each one is an annual release. We release it about the same time, uh, this time of year, it's fall right now. Um, you know, we release that everywhere around the world, at least we try. And each edition is something new. You know, it's something that has never been done before, you know, by us or by anybody. And that's a really exciting thing. And we're learning stuff, you know, really the, the whole idea with Garyana is that it is, it is a new marker, you know, that is pushing whiskey forward or at least out exploring into something that is new. So edition five of Garyana is interesting because it is the first time that we have really focused on the peat, uh, peat and Garyana oak balance. Now, the reason why that is particularly interesting for Garyana is because Gary oak is phenolic as you know that that white paper that came out that spiciness that smokiness that barbecue sauce flavor that is due to phenolics in the wood and phenolics of course are are much more famous for 
coming from the uh, from peat. You know, people think about peat and they think about phenolics, but you can get phenolics from from oak as well. Yeah. And Gary oak has it like way more than any other species. So in this particular edition of Gary o- Garyana, we wanted to experiment with why don't we take these two kind of titans of phenolics and put them together and, and see what happens. And that's what Garyana 5 is all about this year. Amazing. Yeah, that's interesting because as soon as I opened the bottle, I could smell that peatiness. And I was like, this wasn't there for the, for the four. Correct. Um, yeah. So, so what we did with, with uh, version four, actually, I mentioned before with uh, this kind of dark fruitiness, you know, something that people had mentioned when they had tasted Garyana editions before is that, oh, is there sherry in there? Because they could taste it, they could taste this dark fruit nuts. We said, well, no, there's there's actually never been any sherry in editions of Garyana. So that that philosophy that we have this year of these titans of you know peat is kind of the same thing that we did last year, except it was these titans of dark fruit. You know, the Garyana's propensity to take you know fruity notes, turn them dark, plus dark fruit notes you get from sherry, put those together. So yeah, this year's edition is very very different from last year's edition, and that's. Again, that's that's kind of the whole concept is we're exploring something new. We are learning something and basically in real time, uh, you know, we take that bottle it and then, you know, six months later, everybody gets to come along on the journey with us. Um, on the eyes, I think I, it might only be because I've only got a tiny bit left of the Garyana 4, but on the, on the eyes, it's a darker orange than the than the 4. I don't know if, if that's true or not, but <laughs> it's certainly with the amount I've got left, uh, it, it seems I that way. Don't. Yeah, I actually, I actually don't know. What I do know that is Gary Oak's color um, is more, uh, I feel like it's got a redder tint than most other oaks. So, so if you were to like compare uh, Gary Oaks together, Garyana versus American Oak, it would be slightly redder. And this year's edition of Garyana is 36% um, virgin Gary Oak. I should note that the Garyanas that we've done, the release series that is known as Garyana is never 100% Gary Oak. Because basically after the these first single casks that we did, you know, Gary Oak is like, uh, I don't know. It's, you won't miss it. Yeah, exactly. You? It's, 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 it's going to swagger on into whatever room, you know, and it's going to blast the doors off. So, um, <laughs> it's, so, which is, you know, very different from like American white Oak, the Quercus Alba, you know, we used that at a hundred percent in our American Oak and it's not overpowering at all. Um, so all the editions of Garyana, you know, were throttling it back basically, you know, between 20 and 40%, which you found is kind of the sweet spot. So this year's edition um, has the highest percentage of virgin Gary Oak that we've ever done uh, and much higher than actually edition four. Yeah. I'm getting wow. the impression, like, it seems to me like it's the, Garyana is like the Darth Vader of Oaks. It's kind of, you know... <laughs> Taking, <laughs> taking everything and wanting to turn it to the dark side, and uh, overpowering. <laughs> right. yeah, the, yeah, in like in like a you know fun family friendly sort of way. You know, it's, it's just imagine the dark side with. of the forest being. Yeah, <laughs> I would say it's like it's like American oak, like with sunglasses on. You know, it's just it's just so. Yes. You know, use use whatever now. Everybody, you know, at home, if you're listening to this, just. You know, use it's it's American oak with a leather jacket. You know, it's right. there's all sorts of different ways you can spin it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, let's have a look at it then. The, co- the color wise, it's lovely amber. It's a beautiful, rich color. Um, nose. I was having a little bit of personal time with this last night, trying to get a you know, <laughs> as I do whenever we do these tastings. That's a statement. I know. <laughs> I know. A little bit of personal time with the, with the Gary on the fire. Excellent. Um, dark chocolate for me on the nose straight away. The smokiness comes out. For me, it's not. When you say peat, I was surprised it was peat. I could get the smokiness, but for me, mm. when I think of peat, I think of that Isla, you know, kind of medicinal peat, which I'm not really getting from this. And the smoke is there, but it's not really yes, a peatiness this- for me. You know. This the thing that you're picking up there is to me the most exciting part about this edition, because that smokiness. You know, people think about smokiness in whiskey, and you think about it through the lens, I guess, of peat. You know, that's the way that all of us um, have have really experienced smokiness in whiskey. You don't really get it from any other source. So when you taste Gary Oak, that flavor profile, you're tasting. It's kind of like we were talking earlier about the fact that people are tasting malt and going, you know. I'm tasting chocolate or I'm tasting these things I had tasted in porters and I'm not used to this in whiskey. And that's, 
that's the exciting part about what Gary Oak is able to contribute here is, is, a, is another type of smokiness, mm. another type of spiciness. And this addition, you know, the, what, we had, what we had done is we had taken this uh, heavily peated malt, put it in these Gary Oak casks. And when you're nosing it and tasting it, there are parts of it where you can go, that's peat. You know, I, there are parts where I can go, that's, that's the medicinal part of peat. But there's also parts of it where I go, this is Gary Oak, and that's the more kind of mesquite barbecue flavor. Yeah. But then there's this whole range of smoky, spicy, you know, dark fruity notes that are in the middle that is very, it's very hard to tell where those things are coming from. Is it peat? Is it Gary Oak? And it's also not something that you can say there's really any precedent for from other whiskeys. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Nick, this is going to be confusing, but I, I can taste, oh, sorry, taste, I can smell bourbon biscuits. Bourbon biscuits. Bourbon biscuits. I'm getting confused. Yeah. Bourbon biscuits, not bourbon biscuits. Whoa, so it's obviously the, not. <laughs> chocolatey. So, so, yeah, I guess. That, cho- that cho- chocolatey, creamy thing. But then again, sitting on top of it is that uh, the, the fruitiness. There, there's so many layers to this in terms of just on the, on the nose. There's so many layers. There's the, it's like audio. I relate everything to audio because I'm a musician, but you've got that the base and the high, low end and the, and, the, and the top end. With this, you've definitely got that as well. You've got the low end, dark, chocolatey vibes. And then on the top, you have the, the, the sweetness and the fruits and the spiciness mm. just sitting on the top. And that's, I'm glad that you mentioned that because again, that's that's the intention behind the Gary Oak not being at full throttle, right? The mm. fact that it's only 36% of the blend. The remainder of the blend is um, pale malt. So just kind of standard non-roasted malt in uh, bourbon casks. Um, which is a you know what you'd see in most of the Scottish whiskey industry, and it's a great way for us to add back in blending the dimension of fruitiness. You know that would be kind of wiped out um, or certainly turned super dark by the Gary Oak flavor profile. It allows there for there to be a bit of freshness, um, a bit of of lightness, and it actually, in my opinion, helps to make the Gary Oak flavor notes to be a little bit more, I guess, identifiable and complex. Mm you know, less overpowering. I mean, Gary, it's plenty powerful, but less overpowering than it could be. But as I said before, you know, our, our big thing is balance. Even in whiskeys that are focused on oak, like this one is, we still want you to be able to have that Belgian Saison yeast influence. And that's kind of where that, that is where that fruitiness is coming from. Mm. Well, I'm going to have a taste. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to have a taste. I, I don't know about you, Nick. I'm getting, um, you know, like pate on toast vibe with a little bit of like, Sometimes get that fruity when when you go to a nicer restaurant, they put a little bit of like fruit thing next to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's that pate on toast and you dip it into the fruit. They say it called a compote. Fruit compote. compote. Is it apricot compote. compote? Might be apricot yeah. Well, with that, yeah. But but yeah, it's that pate toast and that. And it's and that's the the, the kind of profile again on the nose oh. that you get that combination of of the of the drier Yeah darkest darker sense with the with the fruitiness on top anyway so we get our, get our lips around this nick yeah also with my special my special time with it last night the, f- the first thing that hit me with my first sip it's gone from personal time yeah. to special time this oh, is yeah. even better i'm saying well you know it's when i had a sip of it it turned into a special time well first thing that hit me was just how smooth and creamy it was it just it was absolutely wonderful so dave have a sip I'm going to experience that. Again. And you're right. That's that that smoothness and the and the and creaminess with that bit of smoke that comes through as well. Mm. That's not overpowering. It's just it's just there. Sometimes you have something that's smoky and it's just it tastes like ash, and it's too much. Remember when we had that Irish peated whiskey, Nick Connemara, uh, the Conam the Connemara, and it was just too uh, too much. Yeah. It was too ashy. It was al- almost like you, you know, you you. Put a whole bit of burnt wood in your mouth, but this is the right for me—a a, a nice level. Yeah, that finish goes on forever. It's lovely. I'm getting like or- wow. orange zest, orange peel, and um, but with spice as well. Something I also got earlier. It took me a while to get it with it in my mouth. Exhaling through my nose is where I got like the barbecue notes, like brisket and you know that kind of thing. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, this yeah, is this. This is great. I'm loving this. Yeah. This is amazing. It's so different from the four as well, which is great that you're doing something different every year. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, what, besides the fact that it's just not super fun to make. The same you know, thing. To, to, well, you know, it's, it's important for, for part of our portfolio of products to do that. You know, I think there's great um, importance and weight in actually having something that is consistent that you can always mm. buy. But at the same time, because our whole, 
our whole ethos, our whole identity is wrapped up in the idea that we are making a new style of whiskey, exploring, you know, this region, you know, in through whiskey, really, in real time. And you don't just stop, you know, 10 years after you got into it. And, you know, that, you know, we have as much fun as, as you guys are having every year, because we're, you know, we are learning things, you know, we are exploring things, we're all constantly figuring out, okay, what's the next step, where do we go from here? Yeah, You know, and I think people are, I think people are interested in that too. I mean, luckily, um, you know, people are, you know, single malt whiskey, you know, enthusiasts are trying to find new things, you know, whether it's from a new distillery or from an old distillery, you know? Um, so it's kind of, it's lucky that our philosophy of whiskey making is now matching, I guess, with, with what people are trying to find. Yeah. I'm very Absolutely. much enjoying that bit of black pepper there as well. Yeah. Towards the end for <laughs> sure. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah that's, oh. that's, that's all it's, that spiciness, you know, yeah. it's just, it's wild. And the creaminess, I, you know, the, the creaminess that you mentioned, that is a bit of a, a Gary O'Calling card as well. And we're not totally sure where that's coming from. The hypothesis is that, you know, Gary Oak, as I said before, the, the phenolic notes that you get from Gary Oak, um, you know, the things that, you know, phenolics as, as chemical compounds are linked to tannins. Mm. And so Gary Oak is a very tannic uh, species of oak. So what we need to do is we need to break all of those tannins down um, which we do, you know, in, in our American oak expression, we're using all air-dried oak. So 18 to 24 months of air-drying, which breaks the tannins in American oak down and gives you some creaminess instead of bitterness. Yeah. Uh, Gary oak, the tannins are much higher. So we, we spend a minimum of three years air-drying the wood, wow. um, breaking down um, the tannins in the wood. And I believe that that is responsible for the creaminess um, is, is kind of going from these bitter tannic structure compounds to when they're broken down becomes creamy. And, and Nick, I think, as you mentioned, like the mouthfeel is going on yeah. forever. Somebody mentioned the mouth, the mouthfeel going on forever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's much the same with um, Swedish oak. They have to, they have to air dry it for three years to get rid of the, the tannic qualities of that oak as well. Um, so there's a reason I think why most people use Caucus Alba, because I think it's a bit easier, more versatile off the bat rather than have to treating it. I'm guessing. Mm. Yeah, it is. And it's something you can chill filter out. You know, if you're a distillery that, that practices chill filtering, tannins are, are easy to chill filter out because they'll come out of solution. Um, but we, all of our whiskeys are non-chill filtered. So, you know, you will, you will taste if you've got tannic oak or you will taste, you know, a little bit of tannin is okay. I think um, a little bit, um, but you know, you'll taste it if it's, if it's non-chill filtered, you know, there's no hiding um, what the oak is doing in there. Yeah. When I, mm. I think of tannin, I just think of a really like tanniny red wine. You know, that's where I get of it. Sort of, it gets it from the skin, doesn't it? In that instance, that's where I kind of yeah. base my tannin experience on. Yeah, but yeah. again, like with red wine, you take a, a bottle of red wine and it's really tannic, and you put it in a cellar and it's aging. And what's happening is is kind of, I mean, different types of processes. But either way, the tannins are breaking down. You know, and you have that. You pull an old bottle of red wine from a cellar that was really tannic when it went in. And now it's it's creaminess, and these things have broken down, and you've got new flavor compounds there. The same fundamentals, I believe, are at work here with with Gary Oak. Absolutely amazing. Do you have a distillery tour? I'm guessing that if we, if we were to, to make our way over there, we'd be able to just uh, come and visit you, or is that not obviously COVID permitting? Yeah, COVID aside, you know. So traditionally, we have a distillery tour, and we are um, we were once called by an intellectual property attorney. We were once called alarmingly transparent. Um, which I always, I love, you know, uh, wear that as badge of honor, you know? So, um, but we'd be, we'd be, we'd be happy to have you. And actually for everybody who's, who's listening, um, we're working on a a digital tour program right now. So, um, if, if you do find it difficult to come all the way to Seattle, uh, for a (laughs) distillery tour, which I, I suppose is fair, you know, we're, we're working on a a program where, you know, follow us around in live, um, live action and, and ask questions in real time, to be able to see the distillery, you know, it's not totally the same as being there, but it, it it'll be pretty cool. So, uh, so just be on the lookout for that too. Great, look forward to that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. So, uh, whiskey god, have you ever been to Seattle? Oh, please. Who do you think taught them how to grunge? While I do enjoy a bit of tiger spandex myself, someone had to do something to get rid of that ghastly 80s hair metal. 
the planet was obsessed with. How on earth did you do that then? Well, I used to sing to the frontmen of all your favorite bands whilst in slumber. Or appear as visions in their dreams, showing them how it should be done. With the lights out, it's less dangerous. Here we are now, entertainer us. I feel stupid and contagious. Here we are now, entertain us. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. you enjoyed that <laughs> whiskey wow um well we are of course whiskey and things and that was definitely a thing i think that was a thing i definitely think that was a thing as things go oh, that was that was definitely up there thank yeah, you whiskey thanks god. whiskey god you haven't and, had him sing to us for ages yeah. have we it's nice yeah i think it's because we haven't actually asked him to do a tasting in a while He's finding <laughs> other ways to amuse himself Anyway, thank you, Whiskey God, and thank yes. you, Matt Hoffman, for coming on the show. That was ridiculous. Absolutely. Lee Good. <laughs> There's a lot more of the interview as well. We asked him loads of other stuff, and he was very grace, grace, graceful. Is that the right word? Yeah. He was very graceful with his time. I think that's the right word. I don't know. Uh, but, it, yeah, it was wonderful to spend time with him, and we've put the full interview up on our Patreon page. We thoroughly recommend you go and join in on our Patreon uh, account, because... Uh, there's loads of cool stuff you get as extra. Yeah. So why not? Why haven't you joined yet? You should have joined. It's over at patreon.com forward slash whiskey and things. Yeah. I mean, we went on, we talked for about an hour, as we said, and he went on to talk about the outpost range and what's coming up. There's two bottles coming up in the next couple of years, which are really exciting. The Calere and the Solemn, um, which are really interesting. Um, hopefully we'll get to talk about those on the show when they come out. But uh, Patreon, you get I a bit of a so. sneak peek. You know, on the yeah. on the old Patreon page. So yeah, yeah. And it really is. It really is interesting. It's not just uh, like obviously we don't know anything about the flavors, but what they are doing is interesting. Um, so it's just it's, and it's great hearing someone like him talk about a passion he has he's and so the fact passionate. that he, all of this all of this comes from the fact he just loves whiskey yeah. and has always wanted to do it. The fact he studied in Scotland, all those kind of things. I loved it. Absolutely loved spending time with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like I learned so much in that one hour mm. um, about about the process and about the company. And God, I can't wait to the, to, to go and visit that distillery because uh, even virtually is going to be good. Exactly, even yes. virtually. So the Gariana Five is actually now available in all good whiskey retailers. That came out a few days ago, and um, we're going to let you know that it is about one hundred and sixty-five pounds a bottle, Ooh. which is a treat. We'll give it that. Um, yeah, that's $183, $185 uh, on their website. So, um, yes, it is a treat. But when you hear him talk about it and what goes into the process, you know, it justifies that, I think. Um, of course, they do have a core range as well, which is, uh, which is, which is less if you want to try some Westland. It, you know. it is, yeah, the, the core range is, range is the, the American oak we were talking about is, is about £55 a bottle, I think, Nick. I think 65 ish Yeah. Again, a Around, lot less. Yeah. A lot more reasonable if you're just wanting to try out this stuff, which we would definitely and recommend. 100%. That, that American oak is an amazing whiskey. It's an amazing whiskey. And, and to me, the Gariana is, is, is worth that money. I mean, I don't have that money to spend, but it's worth it. Mm. Um, if I did, I would be buying a bottle of this every week. <laughs> Well, maybe not that I don't drink that much whiskey, but yeah, I'd, I'd be buying it. I would definitely, and I'd be treating my friends of it as well. We will put up a link in our description, our show notes, uh, to purchase the Gariana from the Whiskey Exchange. Um, so please go and check that link out if you want to buy it or even just have a look um, because it's good. It's great whiskey. Also, Nick, I think I just figured out what, what the whiskey god wanted to get in on there. What's that? It just mean? dawned on me. He so- wanted to do some karaoke. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, that. It's good. Yeah, a bit, bit of good. Gary Oakey. Yeah. You should, it would be better if he was singing some Gariana Grande, but anyway. Mate, every day is Gariana Grande. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, and I'm that- annoyed. That was my opening gag. Oh, well. Oh, well, you've heard it twice. I'm going to use it anyway. 
You've now heard that twice in this show, everyone, probably. Because we do the intros at the end. Anyway, let's go. This is a professional show. What else we got? We've got one more thing to talk about before we ask about. I ask you about next week. Uh, we've got our 20% discount until November 30th with the code BLACKFRIDAY20 on our website. So just go on our website, maybe pick up a t-shirt or a hoodie or one of our lovely Glen Cairn glasses where whiskey does taste better. It does. Uh, and Man, uh, just... Stick in the Black Friday 20 code at the checkout and you'll get 20% off, which is um, which is delightful. But Nick, tell me more about next week. What have we got coming up next week? How are we going to follow this one? Episode 36. Well, I know, right? Well, next week we have another guest on the show. What's going Lovely. on? Three, three weeks in a row. We had like four with no, no guests and now we've got three in a row. I know. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Very much so. Yes, next week we have Greg Dillon on the show. He's the founder oh, of yeah. Great Drams, who are an independent bottler and cask wait, worker. wait, wait a minute. Are you telling me we've got two two different founders in two weeks? Yes, yes, yes. What? Obviously not found in a distillery, but he's founded something. Yes, he's an independent bottler. And we're going to be trying two of their releases next week. A Speyside single malt matured in ruby port casks and a seven-year-old blend as well, which I was lucky enough to uh, purchase a few weeks ago. Our market up Excellent. here. That's great. Yes. I, I'm excited about this. This is our first independent bottler. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty cool because there's something, something I, as I, I learned a lot about this at the whiskey show. So, and weirdly, this has nothing to do with the whiskey show. It just happens to be another independent bottler that you found. Which yes, I discovered. It's a market. It's fantastic. Um, I love that. Yes. If you'd like to check out Great Drams before we chat with Greg and before that goes on the air, um, they're actually having an online Zoom tasting on the 25th of November, which is actually next Wednesday. Obviously, if we told you about that next week, it would be too late. So go over to greatdrams.com if you want to get involved in that to find out a bit more. Great, that, great Drams is such a great name for a, for a, for a company like this. I think that's, that's a great exactly name. That's exactly what it Simple. says on the tin. Ex- ex- well, Isn't hopefully. It? I've not tried them, but... Or on the yeah, Glen Karen. I've got one there, Glen Karen's. I'm not going to oh, lie. Nice. The whiskey tastes better out of our Glen Karen, but it's still a pretty Glen Karen. <laughs> you know, just saying. Amazing. Great Drams. Amazing. <laughs> There we go. Right. Let's sign out there, Nick. Uh, This has been great. I thoroughly enjoyed this week's show. So uh, I hope you have as well. This has been a great show. Thoroughly enjoyed having Matt Hoffman on. Uh, I hope we get to try some more Westland in the future. And if anyone else has tried some, please do let us know. Get in contact. But for now, in space, no one can hear. Oh, no, wrong one. Uh, (laughs) Still a great one, though, because I came up with it. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. I completely forgot what that was. That's why I was late. <laughs> that wasn't actually a delay. Amazing. Whiskey and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.